welcome to Borborygmy, Noises from the Veterinary World, a new show that lets you overhear conversations between veterinary professionals about anything and everything that's topical in the industry. This season, we'll be bringing you a range of chats recorded at the London Vet Show, featuring a wide range of friends and colleagues discussing their thoughts on some of the triumphs and tribulations encountered by those in the veterinary industry. Borborygmy is a collaboration between the London Vet Show, Vet Times, Vets Stay Go Diversify and Smashing the Ceiling. Thank you to everyone involved so far for your help and support. It's been very much appreciated. Today's guests on Borborygmy are Brian Faulkner and Stephanie Ryder-Davis. Between them, they have a wealth of experience in clinical practice. Brian has been a vet for almost 25 years and has made a career out of diversifying within the profession, from setting up practice on his own to completing master's degrees in both business and psychology. Steph is a general practitioner with 35 years of experience under her belt and was past SPIFS president the year before Brian was, which is how they met. But in a world of increasing specialisation and diversification, it is often easy to lose sight of the importance of the basics, and both Steph and Brian remain vocal champions of the basic but vital skills that make you an excellent general practitioner. In this conversation, we hear them talking about the power of the clinical consultation. One of the things you said there, Steph, was that you're... You pointed out specifically that you have no other post-nominals other than... Absolutely. And, and actually, you'd say that with no sense of, shall we say, inadequacy, apology. For you, that is absolutely, absolutely. a deliberate statement yeah, of that's absolutely. all I need. Absolutely. And you feel very strongly about that, don't you? Yeah, I do. I, I, I kind of, it's one of those things, isn't it? We had some discussions a couple of years ago about how to celebrate GP practice and talked about possibly, you know, lots of additional certificates and things. And I, I think one of the frustrations is that actually a lot of people spend a lot of time feeling that they have to do something else to make themselves good enough. Um, when I first graduated, there weren't any additional qualifications. You, you couldn't do any. There were no specialists unless you were in a university environment. And by the point at which they, they became available, I had a young family and I, I wasn't going to do them. But in many ways, I've never really felt I needed to. I've never felt that I was inadequate. And I think one of the things that I think uh, feel very strongly about um, GP practice is it's often a bit looked down on, but actually, do you know, it's really hard. I think it's probably one of the hardest jobs. Um, what we have to do, we see the client new coming in, first time they've come in, we have to kind of filter out everything, we have to work things out with them. Often it's about, you know, making that sort of perfect compromise, working out that jigsaw, what fits for this animal and this client in this situation and that's a really tough thing but it's so rewarding to do isn't it? Yeah one of the analogies I make in my training is that in vet school we learn what I call the proactive clinical resolution strategy we learn all the detail and it's appropriate that of course we do so in vet school if we don't learn the most proactive up-to-date way of doing it but then we come into first opinion practice and it's a completely different sort of environment so I, I liken it to at vet school we learned German but when we graduate we live in France. So both languages are very legitimate. It's just it's not the one they speak where we end up most of the time. Yeah. So we have to become bilingual. And in other words, we need to be very good at talking the technical proactive workup in a technical sense. And I find a lot of the vets that I coach with, and I think that's what you're referring to with regard to this first opinion GP adequacy, is that sometimes almost just being a vet, MRCVS, without further qualifications. In other words, they want to feel they need to do, shall we say, more German qualifications, if you get my metaphor, yeah, yeah. as opposed to thinking, actually, 
I can cope fine in the field that I'm in. Because in first opinion, 80% of the time in small animal, we're treating patients on the presumption of what we think they have as opposed to knowing. And that creates a certain angst. And that's what I mean by speaking a different language. The way I consult is very much working with the client. It's not about I am this, this um, amazingly technically um, qualified specialist person who is going to tell you what to do with your animal. It's very much working with the client. What can I do for you? What can we work out together? What works for you? It's a lot about putting myself in their shoes or trying to put myself in their shoes, explaining to them options, working out options with them. Very consensus driven and getting an agreed way forward. And the real beauty of that is that what you end up doing is you create the treatment that the client feels is appropriate for their animal that they can manage both financially and sheer practically wise you know so no point in getting a client who can't even handle their cat to give it tablets but you provide them with the treatment that they feel comfortable with that they feel works for them um, and you're helping the animal and actually it's a complete win-win situation you end up with an animal that gets something it might not be you know perhaps university style university trained treatment but it gets treatment of some type that makes it feel better the client gets it in a way that actually is practical to them they're bought into it because you've discussed it with them and guess what interestingly they pay and they don't often moan about it either. When I talk about decisions, I literally almost do it like a little marriage ceremony. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for complication and success, I sign this form. <laughs> In other words, they actually, there's a lot of unknown here. There's no doubt that social media not necessarily has caused something, but it's been a wonderful forum for it, for humiliating, criticizing. And I think people are becoming very concerned, people being veterinary practitioners and I'm sure in other professions, worried about trial by social media. And I think that's a bigger worry in the minds of the vets that I'm coaching than litigation itself. If you start out with that mindset that this client may complain, that actually I've got to do everything to make sure the client doesn't complain, rather than being open to the client's opinions and listening to them, and they might be a bit way off, they might be a bit off the wall, but you know, if you actually start out with a situation where the client might complain, I have to, to do all my utmost to stop them complaining. You approach things in a very defensive way, and in my experience, approaching things in a defensive way is much more likely to lead to, to potential disagreement and conflict. Because actually clients aren't stupid, they sense that. Human beings are very good on picking up on those emotions from other people. You know, actually if the vet appears to be worried, defensive, you know, actually the client is instantaneously going, well, hang on a minute, does this person know what they're talking about? Whereas actually if you can be open and if the client comes in and they say, you know, I've Googled this, it could be this, you know, I mean, it might be complete rubbish and there's, there's perhaps a, uh, a temptation to go, oh, for heaven's sakes, well, that's rubbish. But that's not helpful because instantaneously you close that conversation down. Whereas if you actually kind of go, okay, well, that's fair enough. We, we can think about that in a minute. And, you know, actually you can work through other things. You can often sort of bring them around to a sensible way of thinking about things. And I honestly have found very rarely have I been in a situation where I have felt that an animal needed something and I couldn't reach an agreement with that client to provide it with something. Maybe not. The, tr the ideal treatment that I wanted, um, but almost never have we ended up in a scenario where the client and I have basically not been able to come to some sort of agreement. I've had to compromise my feelings and the clients, but you, you work with them. Well, what you're sending a message there is with, I'm as equally, if not more concerned about the client's 
issue and the patient or the pet's yeah. issue. But when you come across defensive, as you say, human beings are very quick to recognize that the whole vibe presentation approach of this is you're more worried about you. And once human beings rec start feeling that other people are being in a form selfish, defensive, worried about something that they're not necessarily worried about, all of a sudden they kind of go, we're not on the same team. We're not on the same team. And once you're not on the same team, that disconnect grows. And guess what? You start looking for reasons psychologically. We're biased to look for reasons for things that we believe. And once you believe they're not on the same team, it won't be hard to find evidence, at least subjective evidence. So that's absolutely true. Is that uh, I, I think we worry too much at hello, other than going in and going, the belief, the genuine belief. If I walk into this consultation with a genuine intention of helping this client and this patient, even though I may not know everything about everything that'll come up, is that it'll be okay. And when I walk into that with that mindset, and not just us, me, but everybody, I believe that the client is much more forgiving than the vets even dream they will be. And an awful lot of uh, vet students don't necessarily spend much time in the consulting room when they're doing EMS. They want to do what's, what they consider all the sexy stuff out the back. Actually spend more time in the consulting room when you're doing EMS. Find somebody who, who consults well. Watch what they do. Spend that time in there with them. Vaccinations, you know, post-op checks, they might not seem very sexy, but watching how that person, if you can find somebody who consults well and builds those bonds with a client, watching them is worth an absolute fortune. Um, try and work in a practice where you're not going to be doing very short consults. Work in a practice where there's going to be that support, um, you know, to, to give you 10-minute consults are just not okay. I know you feel very strongly about that, don't you, Brian? Yeah, 10 minutes are obsolete. That's one piece of advice I'd give to any new graduate. Don't accept a job with 10-minute consults. That's my little political message because stress equals uncertainty multiplied by urgency. There's enough uncertainty in our practice of what's coming in with symptoms, what's causing them, how much information we can get their physical senses. There's enough of that. That's veterinary medicine practice. Our urgency is let's not put ourselves under time pressure. My one piece of advice is treat every client as if they're your mother, brother, sister, member of family, i.e. somebody you like, true, no trust and respect. And when you approach them with a genuine collaborative mindset and therefore you wouldn't advise them for something you wouldn't want to give advice to somebody in your life is very important to you but you wouldn't want to underservice them either which doesn't mean you do it cheaply for them thinking that they'll be happier with that you want to do a good job for them and I use that family metaphor because you don't tend to hopefully think that our relatives that way are enemies they're people we're helping and therefore that automatic pulling in the same team mentality comes out and that's my asset test for any recommendation would I recommend it to my mum this preventative healthcare, this diagnostic test, this therapy. And if I wouldn't recommend it to my mum in this instance, why should I recommend it to anyone else's mum? And I find that stood me pretty well. And, and I would say, you know, don't, don't, be, don't be quick to judge, you know, be that yourself in terms of what you've managed to achieve or your clients, you know, um, be open, be prepared to accept people as they are. Be nice to the animals, make the most of the animals. I mean, I think this is just a brilliant job. I love it. You go to work and you have no idea what you're going to get every day. You know, different animals. You can have had a really bad night the night before. You could have had a row with somebody. You could go in feeling quite down. And 99% of the time, the first animal in the consult room will be some stupid Labrador and do something stupid and it'll make you laugh. And actually take those laughs where you can find them because they're there. They're there every single day. You know, talk to the animal nicely. Clients like it. 
you know, the animals are important to them. You know, I mean, clients who've never met me before often think I'm a bit weird because, you know, I will say, oh, hi, handsome, how are you? And the client goes, really, who is this mad woman? I'm like, no, 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 I'm talking to the dog. Don't talk to the clients <laughs> like that. That's designed for the dog. Um, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but, you know, but, that, but that's it, you know, it builds that kind of instantaneous, you're human, I'm human, I'm take those kind of real gains when you can love the fact that you know if particularly if you stay in a practice if you feel comfortable and you enjoy staying in a practice you become a part of a community and you get to that stage that fantastic stage where you know it's happened to me we had a boxer breeder uh, who came to us and many of his bitches needed cesareans so you know you do the cesarean and you deliver the puppies and because he liked our practice he recommended us and several of the puppies went to homes in the area and one particular puppy you know remained in the area for the whole of its life the only person's signature on that dog's vaccination card ever was mine 95 percent of that animal's care was provided by me and the person who went out and put that dog to sleep at the end of its life with its family around it and actually me, and I'm getting quite weepy, aren't I? Me and them crying was me. I mean, what other job do you get that in? That's just, there is no other job in veterinary practice that you can do that. And that is worth, that's worth, you know, yeah, you get the odd day and the odd grumpy client, but seriously, no they're not very allowed, many. There's no other job you're allowed to put your client down. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I'm Sophie Walsh, part-time vet and full-time science documentary maker. You may hear a little bit of me in these podcasts, or the lovely Naomi Meller, my co-host, also a vet and host of the brilliant podcast Smashing the Ceiling. We'd love you to rate and review this podcast, or tell a friend if you enjoyed it. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>